0: I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. The task which has been set us is not above our strength, long as we have faith. It's one small step for man, one giant for mankind. (laughs) God's work must truly be our own. Well, you know history is shaped by movements i mean really as you look back at history you can study the movements that have happened and whether it's the greeks in trying to hellenize the world or the movement of the romans to conquer the world or the movement of communism or the movement of capitalism you see all these movements that have happened but but throughout history movements come and they go except for one movement the greatest movement of all is god's church and god's church is unstoppable And God has been doing something incredible in history and transforming the world through his church. Now, churches throughout history have looked different, right? I mean, you've had uh, cathedrals and steeples and you've had warehouses and comfy seats. You know, you've had Gregorian chants and you've had choirs and you've had bands. But here's what unites the church is the body of Christ united to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that Christ is at work in us for His name and for His glory. And that we are a part of something way bigger than ourselves. We are a part of His church. Well, welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Unstoppable. And I love this series because I love God's church. I love what He's doing. And in this series we're looking at the first part of Acts and we're seeing how the early church came to life and what God did through His church and what He continues to do today. Now, any movement that happens, you have three causes, right? You, you have three things that are factors there. One, you have this powerful cause. And for the church, the most powerful cause of all, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring light into the darkness, to radiate the love of Christ to a world that's in need. You also, with a, with a movement, you have a prominent leader. And a leader is Jesus Christ who started this movement and who continues to lead the movement today. And then, with any movement, you have passionate followers. Men and women who give their lives for the cause. And men and women who've gone before us, and maybe they were your grandparents or great-grandparents or maybe great-great-great-grandparents, but there have been disciples throughout history who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. And now we're the link in the chain, and the generations have come to us, and we are the church. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The church, man, I love it. It's bigger than a building. It's us, the movement of God. Now, Acts is in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And then you come to Acts, which stands for the Acts of the Apostles. And as we mentioned last week, Acts was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so the Gospel of Luke is kind of volume one. And then you come to volume two, which talks about the church and the movement of God in and through his church. And here we see that here in the book of Acts. The Acts is so deep and it's so rich. Now, last week, We left off in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, uh, you see that Jesus pulls his disciples together. And after His, his death on the cross, his resurrection, conquering death, Jesus pulls these disciples together. He says, listen, you will receive the gift my Father has promised to you. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now notice that he didn't say, hey, you're going to go out and you're going to argue people into the kingdom. You're going to go out and save people. He just says, you go out and be witnesses. You go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. You go out and share my love with others. And these disciples are kind of looking at each like, what? And then all of a sudden, Jesus ascends into heaven. And now they're standing there going, what do we do now? You know? And they're scared and they're worried. They're afraid. And yet... Many times that's where God does his greatest work. Look what happens in Acts chapter two. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now Pentecost happens fifty days after Passover. All right. So so Passover was where Jesus uh, was crucified or was resurrected. And then fifty days later there's another feast or another festival. All the Jews would come to Jerusalem for three major feasts a year and the big granddaddy of them all was Passover, but then Pentecost, which happened 50 days later. Now, they got to that because, you know, seven days God created the world, and on the seventh day he rested, Shabbat, and so seven times seven, 49, so the 50th day would be a big celebration, and it was also called in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks, and so people are coming from all over to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem to worship there at the temple. Well, it's the day of Pentecost, And they were all together in one place. Now, who is they? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, you see they, that's the disciples. But it's not just the 11. It's also men and women. There's about 120 believers now at this point. 120 believers. And and these believers, you know, Jesus' mom's there, Jesus' brothers are there. 120 of them gather together praying and suddenly Like the sound of a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow. Don't you wish you were there? How incredible. How awesome. They're praying, they're worshiping, and the Holy Spirit comes down. See, the movement of God's church right here comes to life. The movement of God's church comes to life. There they are praying, and the marks of the Spirit are the wind, right? The wind, the blowing of the wind. But also the mark is the fire. The purification of God's renewing work in the lives of these disciples. And these men and these women are there astounded at what God is doing. And so excited to be a part of what He's doing. They're praying and they're believing and God is doing something huge. Here we see the movement now of God's church comes to life and the Holy Spirit is the one that fuels that movement. Look at verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now notice that. There's people from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem, and now the disciples are, are speaking, and they can understand them. The gift is that they can understand their own language. The Holy Spirit is always about clarity, not confusion. The Holy Spirit is always about bringing glory to God, you know. And so here we see, in the, look at verse 7, utterly amazed. There's a few times where will read the word amazed in here. Utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Like, where did this come from? I mean, these guys are Galileans. They're ordinary men and women. How in the world did they learn to speak our language? How are they communicating God's blessings and God's work? Then, how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Perinthians, Medes, Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. <laughs> Some of them are like, these guys are drunk, okay? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, These guys, they're like, no, we're not. I mean, we're not drunk. We are excited about what God is doing. Now, we don't talk all, often about the Holy Spirit. We, we do, we talk, but, but we talk a lot more about God, right? We talk about God the Father. We, we talk about God as our provider. God as our protector. God as our redeemer, our restorer. We talk a lot about Jesus. I mean, we praise God for Jesus, the sacrifice He made for us on the cross, that Jesus is there for us, Jesus intercedes for us. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we kind of back away. We're going, the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I get it, I don't know if I understand. But the Holy Spirit is just as important as God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is three in one, it's the Trinity. Now the Trinity, sometimes it's hard to comprehend, right? I mean, you got God the Father and Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're all the same. We just celebrated St. Patrick's Day a few weeks ago. And, and St. Patrick, I don't know if you know this, but St. Patrick, he didn't grow up in Ireland. St. Patrick actually grew up in England. And his parents were believers. They were followers of Christ. But as a young man, he had his doubts. He was kind of an atheist. He was trying to figure life out. And then he was taken capture, and he was taken as a slave to Ireland. And while he's a slave in Ireland, man, he starts to pray to God, right? And he calls out to God. Well, he escaped for being a slave there, and he returned back to England. And God put on his heart to go back to Ireland and to take the gospel back to Ireland, back to the people who had captured him. And so St. Patrick does that. He goes back to Ireland, and he begins to talk about God and what God's doing. And he would use a clover to explain the Trinity. And he would talk about this three-leaf clover. He'd say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he would explain what God was doing in Ireland, and thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ. He's known as the patron saint of Ireland now, right? Saint Patrick, a big celebration to him. But he began to put it in ways that people could understand. I mean, he is God, and sometimes we're going. I don't get. God is at work in us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can also think about it like water and ice and vapor. I mean, all the same, just different forms. But God is moving. God is working. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit is so important here in the early church and here in the church today. The role of the Holy Spirit is, yes, to be our our counselor and conviction of sin, but also our comforter when we go through hard times or difficult times. But the Holy Spirit also leads us and guides us. And as a believer, this is significant. I mean, back then, if you wanted to meet God, okay, you would go to the temple to worship. And so you would come to the temple, and you were coming up the steps, you would go to worship. But if you were a Gentile, not a Jew, you were a Gentile, you could only get so close to God. Because see, God dwelled over here in the Holy of Holies. He's over here, and you had to be in the court of the Gentiles. You, You were a Gentile, you could only get so close to God. If you were a woman, you could get a little bit closer, but they had the court of the women. Women didn't have a lot of rights back then at all. And so women would be stopped, you could only get so close to God. Now if you were a Jewish man, you could get a little bit closer, but you're still on the outside looking in. Then if you were a priest, you could get pretty close to God, but you couldn't get in there with God because God's dwelling in this Holy of Holy place, big curtain, separated. But the high priest, only one time a year, could go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Then comes Jesus. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And Jesus comes, right? The incarnate Christ. And he comes and he lives. And now if you want to meet God, you can be around Jesus. And you can hear Jesus and you can be around Jesus. But what happened when Jesus died? Do you remember what happened on the cross? When he's on the cross and he dies, he says, It is finished. And when he breathed his last, at that moment, the temple veil is torn in two from top to bottom. And God comes near. God moves. And through the power of the Holy Spirit then, he begins to indwell his disciples. And now the Spirit of God working in and through his disciples for his name and for his glory. Unbelievable. And now the Spirit working in this world. And the power of God's Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit begins to guide us as disciples. The Holy Spirit's different than our conscience. A lot of times we think about our conscience, but everybody has a conscience, right? I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. If you've never read Mere Christianity, I encourage you, it's a great book. But C.S. Lewis was an atheist. And then he started thinking about, wait a minute. Why do people know between right and wrong? I mean, even people who are far from God know that it's wrong to murder. People who are far from God know that it's wrong to steal. Where does that come from? Then I mean, two rocks collide, and all of a sudden we've got a conscience. I mean, she starts to think about this, and he goes, ah, we're all made in the image of God. Right? We all know there's a conscience within us. But when God gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then begins to guide us. And lead us. Have you ever been praying and God just puts somebody on your heart and you go, I need to pray for them right now. Where does that come from? Or have you ever been just trying to make a decision and, and, and God says, hey, do this. And you go, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you. you remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. The Apostle Paul is led. He's going on a mission trip, and God says, no, no, no. He closes the door, and he said, go this way. He takes the gospel over here. God is leading, as a believer, as a follower of God, you and I as the church become the hands and feet of Christ. That's the amazing truth of Scripture, that when you accept Christ, when you respond to God, God places His Holy Spirit within you. And look at what the Holy Spirit does The Holy Spirit works through the disciples. The Holy Spirit works through the disciples. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Now who's Peter? Remember, Peter was one of the disciples. Peter was with Jesus. But 50 days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Peter is scared. You know, here they are in Jerusalem where Jesus has been crucified. Peter's worried. He's afraid. But now, because of the Holy Spirit in him, he's bold. And he stands up and says, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Guys, this is awesome. I mean, here's Peter who is scared to death that he's going to be arrested and taken and crucified. And now he's standing up on the temple mount, standing on the steps. And as people are coming into the temple, he says, hey, guys, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me just tell you, fellow Jews, He says, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. He goes, come on, man, seriously. I mean, It's 9 in the morning. Nobody's drunk here. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is written from the Old Testament hundreds of years before. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, notice that, women here, man, Jesus did more for women's rights than anybody in history. Both men and women, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God, everyone who's calling on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't just have to stop at the court of the Gentiles. You don't have to stop at the court of the women. You don't have to stop at just being a Jew or not being a Jew. You can be saved by the grace of God. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Peter's like, you remember 57 days ago, everybody was chanting, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as Jesus rode in on a donkey, and all of us were waving palm branches. You remember that? You remember this Jesus who raised the dead to life? Remember this Jesus who healed the blind? Hey, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. He said, it wasn't the Romans or the Jews who put Jesus to death. Come on. God is sovereign. God's in control here. There's a bigger plan, a bigger purpose. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter goes, you saw him die on the cross, but listen, he is alive. We've seen him. He is alive. David said about him. Now, who's he referred to? David. Well, if you go back in the Old Testament, David was known as a man after God's heart. David wrote much of the Psalms. David was the king over Israel and was a great king. David wasn't perfect, though. David made a huge mistake. David even had an affair. But David confessed and repented. And God blessed David. And David had this heart for God. He loved God. And David said about him, so David's, this was written a thousand years before Christ came, and David's prophesying about Christ. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Guys, I want to stop right there just for a second. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your job. I don't know what's going on in your career. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. I don't know what's going on with your kids. But maybe today, just let these words kind of bathe over you. Listen to this. I saw the Lord always before me. I took my eyes off of my circumstances. And I put my eyes on God, who is greater Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. There is hope. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to tell you there is hope. Where there is God, there is hope. And God is with you and God is for you. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, (laughs) nor will you let your Holy One. Now notice Holy One is capitalized here. Did you notice that? What's he referring to? He was referring to the coming Messiah. He was referring to Jesus. Even looking all those years before, he's looking forward to Christ. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. See, Jesus is known as the son of David. If you go back and trace Jesus' genealogy through Mary or through his earthly father Joseph, it all comes through David. He promised he would have somebody always on the throne. But seeing what was ahead of him, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. He was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And God raised this christ wow can you imagine peter this guy stands up in front of everybody and says guys you crucified him he's the messiah and he is alive now how in the world did peter do that it wasn't peter (laughs) it was the spirit of god working through peter it was the spirit of god speaking through peter and god wants to use you just like god wanted to use peter they you may be saying, well, there's no way I'm standing up in front of a lot of people talking. That's just not me. No, but God's given you gifts. And God's wired you in certain ways. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. You receive the Holy Spirit when you say yes to God. As God draws you to himself, as God invites you into this relationship with him through Jesus Christ, God places his Holy Spirit within you. It's not a two-step process. It's not like you are saved one day and then years later you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. No you receive the Holy Spirit now. And the Holy Spirit comes in you and gives you spiritual gifts. Peter didn't know he had the gift of teaching. But when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden Peter starts using that gift. See, every one of you has a spiritual gift. Some of you know what they are. Others of you, you're just learning. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of leading. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of service. And there is nothing like it when you are using your gifts for the glory of God. You feel so alive. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're serving your gift of service, you helping people do anything, and you're just like, this is awesome. I love this. Or when you're teaching and you just go, yes, this is great. This is what I was created to do. I love it. And God wants you to use those gifts. And your spiritual life comes alive then. Now, This is a huge point. There's a difference between having the Holy Spirit in you and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. Here's what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham wrote, All believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit. This does not mean, however, that they are all filled or controlled by the Spirit. The important thing is that the great central truth, when I came to Christ, God gave His Spirit to me. Okay? Now think about this. God placed His Holy Spirit within you. But you can either say yes or you can say no. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can respond with yes or no. The Holy Spirit's there. But you can quench the Spirit by saying no over and over again. Have you ever been praying and God just put somebody on your heart and said, you know, hey, pray for them? Where'd that come from? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Have you ever been hearing about a mission trip and God says, I want you to go? It's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been thinking, man, I need to give, I need to help? the Holy Spirit. Have you ever talked about your marriage and said, hey, I need to pray with my spouse? Where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. Now when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can go, not gonna do it, no way, <laughs> you know? no, 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 no. I, I'm not gonna do it. I know Holy Spirit, you're speaking to me about that. I know it, but not gonna happen. How often do we do that? And what happens over time like it says in 1 Thessalonians, is as you quench the Spirit, your heart becomes hard. And you don't hear the Spirit as much. But when you're obedient to the Spirit, even in the little things, then you start living a life filled by the Spirit. Then you start responding. When, when God's speaking to Peter and says, Peter, stand up there, and you're going... I don't know, you know, Peter's like, they just crucified Jesus 50 days earlier. Am I gonna be crucified? But Peter now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says, yes, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna stand up there, I'm gonna be bold, and I'm gonna step out. And I wanna tell you, that's where the Christian life comes alive. You weren't created to be a spectator and sit back and cheer everybody else on. You were created to be alive and serving and giving and growing that's where your spiritual life comes to life. That's where hope comes to life. That's where joy comes to life. That's where your marriage comes to life. That's where your family comes to life. Is allowing God to work in you and through you. That's where you see God do things that only God can do. And you look back and then you say, I don't even know where those words came from. I, mean, I don't even know what I said there. I don't even know what I wrote there. But God used it. And that's what God wants to do. Look what happens here with the words that Peter spoke, verse thirty-seven, this is: When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all." whom the Lord, your, our God, will call. Notice that. What did he say? He said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, when, when you live your life in the Spirit, you further God's movement. Peter would have no idea that God was gonna set off a revival that day. Peter was just being obedient. And Peter's like, okay, here you go, God. But when you and I are obedient in that way, God does something bigger than we can imagine. God is at work. And I'm sure Peter was scared to death, man, he's putting his life on the line. But God was doing something bigger than Peter, and God does something bigger than us. God gave Peter a platform that day, and God's given you a platform. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you, God's prompting you for a reason. God's calling you to say something or to speak something or to pray something for a reason and for a purpose. There was a guy named Bill Bright. And Bill Bright, he was a movie producer in Hollywood and and made a lot of money. But he was a believer. And one day he's praying and God puts on his heart, Bill, I want you to help complete the Great Commission. I want want you to be the one to help me take the gospel to all nations. And and Bill was like, no, not going to do it. i got a great life living here in L.A., making a lot of money, things are really good, and God just kept coming back over and over again. And finally, one day, Bill's like, okay, all right, I get it. I've got to be obedient. I've got to step in and I've got to do this. And you know what? God used Bill Bright to start Campus Crusade. And Bill Bright to produce the Jesus film that's been shown to over 2 billion people worldwide. It, God said, Bill, you've got a platform. You've got an audience. You've got some abilities that I want to use to further my movement in the world. Bill, just step up. Or Steph Curry. Many of you know Steph Curry, best basketball player right now on the planet. But he's also a strong believer. And so when Under Armour came and said, hey, Steph Curry, we want you to do a shoe called the Steph Curry shoe. He said, I'll do it, but but here's what I want on it. I want 413 on the tongue of that shoe because that stands for Philippians 413. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want change by belief typed in and put on that shoe. When they came back and said we're gonna do another shoe, he said okay, we're gonna put iron sharpens iron on this shoe, biblical reference, iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. He's just being obedient, he's just using the platform that he has, saying okay God, I don't, I don't know, but, but, but I'm just gonna be obedient right now, your spirit's prompting me. Or Darren and Carrie Clark, I, I love Darren and Carrie, and God prompts them to start the father-son bowl and to say hey, How could you connect dads and sons in this community? Okay, we're scared to death. We don't know how it's gonna go, but here you go. Or Steve Norris, 413 strong, impacting young men in our community, changing this community. Or Molly Westmoreland, seed planting mom. Last Saturday, there were 51 moms here talking about how to raise boys in the Lord, how to raise up godly men. These are ordinary people like you and me, but ordinary people who are listening to God speak to their hearts and just saying, God, I'll be obedient. God, here I am. God, what do you want me to do? And look at the result. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. Can you imagine these 120 believers scared to death, and then all of a sudden 3,000 people accept Christ? And the life change that happens? Oh, wow. See, the movement of God's church is always about transformed lives. The movement of God's church is always about transformed lives. Guys, i got to tell you how thankful I am for God's church. I, I grew up in a great church. And my life has been forever changed. I'm one of those transformed lives. As the generations were passed on and men and women were living for Christ and serving in the church, I'm one of those lives that have been changed. I grew up in a church with a great children's ministry and student ministry. And I look back on my life and I think, where would I be without that? Where would I be without the men and women who taught me in Sunday school and the men and women who poured into me What decisions would I have made as a middle school boy? (laughs) You know, what would my friends have been like in high school if it wasn't the friends? Because most of my friends were at church. I had a great youth group. We had great guys who would pray for one another. It was amazing. What would my decisions have been in college? What would my decisions have been as a young single adult man? So much about what I learned growing up was from God's church, from His Word. The church Impact to me. I'm a changed life. Where did I learn about respecting women? Not just seeing them as objects. That's not from culture, right? That was from the church. Where did I learn about giving and being generous? That was definitely not from culture. That was from the church. And I'm not perfect. And I have a long way to go. But I am so thankful for the church. And some of you, this is your story, right? You grew up in a great church. And you can look back and you can think about people who poured into you. I remember going on a mission trip when I was in high school to Jamaica, and when I was on that mission trip, I saw some of the poorest people I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, I grew up in a nice area, a nice place in Texas, and I go down there and I was like, whoa, wow, poverty like I had never seen before. But you know what else I saw? I saw these Christians, these men and these women who loved Jesus so much, and I saw a joy in them, and I realized at that moment, hey, wait a minute, it's not about money. And it's not about success. There is joy and peace and purpose that's in Christ and Christ alone. Where would I have learned that if it wasn't for the church? Where would I have learned about loving other people? Where would I learn about putting other people before me? Where would our nation learn that? Where does this world learn that? Because you look at all the great movements that have happened, I mean, you look at the Greeks and the Romans, let's go conquer everybody. You look at communism or even capitalism and it's all about me and me first. Where do you learn to put others before you? Where do you learn it's about love? It's the church. And the church is about changing lives for the better. The church is about bringing hope to the hopeless and light in the darkness and praise God that my life is one of those that's been changed. You see, there's a lot of movements that you can give your life to, there is. Sports, social media, There's movements there all the time, right? There's animals, there's universities, there's all kinds of movements that you can spend your time and your money investing in. But I want to tell you, there is no greater movement than the movement of God's church. And the movement of God's church has come to us. And Jesus is coming back, and he's not coming back for a nonprofit as great as they are. He's not coming back for a university or for a hospital. He's coming back for his church. And God is calling us to be faithful, to listen when he prompts our hearts To step out and be obedient. And you guys, you are the ones, we are the ones that are setting the example for all those preschool kids and the children and the students and everybody around them who are growing up in a church. It's our time. It's our opportunity. And may God find us faithful. May God find us faithful in our marriages and with our children, and with his church. I don't know where you are today. Listen, I don't. And maybe life's been busy and it's been out of control, and maybe you've gotten consumed, with a lot of things going on in the world. But I wanna tell you, God is here. And God is inviting you to be a part of something way bigger than yourself. And God is asking you to lock arms and join and be a part of a movement. And God's inviting you, through the power of His Holy Spirit, to be a transformed life. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I want to invite our worship team to come. Right where you sit today, will you just be honest with God, you and God? Maybe today is the day of salvation. Maybe God's speaking to your heart and drawing you to himself and saying, this is the day. Maybe today is a day when you just say yes to the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of times you've been crossing your arms and saying no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about baptism. Or the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about getting involved at church. Or the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about going deeper in your faith and being a part of a Bible study. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about praying together with your spouse. Or having a family devotional time. I don't know. But today, would this be the day that you say, I'm going to unfold my arms and I'm going to open my hands. Holy Spirit, <laughs> I don't get it all the time, I don't understand all the time, but, but Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, I'm yours. I don't want to miss it. Oh God, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to live my, things for the, live my life for the things of this world and get so enamored with being right or being seen or my image or money or success. God, I want to live my life for you, wholly and completely for you. So, Father God, here we are, your disciples today, 2,000 years later, and the movement goes on. And God, as your people, I pray you would cut us to the heart I pray that you would speak to us, that we would listen. I pray that we would be obedient. I pray we would push past the fear and step forward in faith. God, we love you, we praise you, and we are yours. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Have your way with us today.